Welcome back to Seconds Flat. We're excited to have our friend Eddie Garcia of the Greenville Track Club Elite Team join us this week. Eddie holds national records in the 10,000 meters and marathon for the U.S. Virgin Islands. We discussed his recent Pan American Games experience and Olympic dreams. Plus, Eddie provides a valuable voice on the intersection of running and race. For decades, athletes have advanced the dialogue and action around social justice issues, and Eddie shares his thoughts about how running can unite communities, mend fractured relationships, and move us forward together. Here's Eddie Garcia and Mile 56 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Eddie Garcia, welcome to the show. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. How are you? I am great. It's good to have you in. How was your day? Give us a day in the training life of Eddie Garcia. What what was on tap for your run today? Uh, so yeah, today was a typical recovery day. Um, I trained with the uh, A6 uh, Greenville Track Club Elite here in town. And um, today we had our easy day. So Usually on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we'll uh, do a 45-minute run. We'll do our uh, drills, and then we'll do uh, stretches, strides. And after that, we, um, we do our strength work. Um, so we have a um, – call it the Fit Garage. And it's basically the track club provides housing for uh, athletes that qualify on the standards, and the Fit Garage is – in the uh, the property for the house. So after the run this morning, we did the fit garage and spent another 45 minutes in there and uh, did some stretching afterwards. And then um, I work at Fleet Feet as well, part-time. So after that, I went home, showered, uh, ate breakfast, and then I was on my way to work. <laughs> Busy day, man. So yeah. is, what does that look like when you get in the weight room there? You said it was about 45 minutes what kind of things are you guys focused on? We do a lot of kettlebell work. We uh, also do a lot of, it's, it's, I would say it's a total body workout. Uh, we do a lot of kettlebell work, dumbbells. Um, we have a barbell. We'll do Olympic lift type movements. We use a lot of um, the bands, like the bands you wrap around your ankles. We do a lot of um, lateral lunges, walks, um, a lot of balancing exercises. So we'll do a lot of um, cone touches. Um, so things like that, a lot of body weight pull-ups. So yeah, it's very thorough. And I really like it because I feel like it keeps you healthy and it helps uh, maintain the speed and the strength. Yeah, that sounds like a nice mix of, as you said, injury prevention, and then also with the Olympic lift type stuff, developing some explosiveness, some supplement to the other hard efforts that you have going. For those of us who maybe just know you as the professional runner we see running around Greenville, could you tell everyone a little bit about your background before Greenville? Yes, so um, I'm uh, born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida. And um, 
I ran, uh, started running when I was 14. So picked up running in grade school and uh, I ran throughout middle school and then I ran in high school <clears throat> and I really started picking up an interest in it. Uh, my junior year, I started um, performing really well. I was, uh, you know, top three in the state in cross country and track and field. Um, then I started getting letters from colleges and I ended up running at the University of Florida and uh, go Gators <laughs> and loved my time there in Gainesville, Florida. And then nearing graduation, I did uh, five years there. And, um, you know, my, my coach, Coach Spangler, Paul Spangler, he's at Boston University now. I remember he sat down with me and he was like, look, uh, I think you have some potential to continue running if you uh, want to pursue that. And so I stayed in Gainesville for a year after I graduated and um, he continued training me. Then I started seeking out, you know, post-collegiate groups. They're all over the U.S. And uh, I stumbled upon uh, Greenville Track Club Elite. And, you know, I, I got in contact with uh, my coach now, uh, Mike Caldwell. And we set up a visit and I came to Greenville and fell in love with the city about two years ago. Uh, so I've been here for about two years and came here and I really fell in love with the city. And um, I really kind of liked Mike's approach to training. And uh, so I decided to uh, relocate here. And uh, it's been an amazing move. My fiance and I just recently closed on a home here. So, you know, it's definitely a place where we could see ourselves um, setting our roots and growing. But I, I love it here. It's an amazing running community. And it's just a great place to train. Absolutely. You mentioned your, your coach leaving going to Boston. Do you keep in touch with the program uh, at UF? I know it's the Chris Solinsky era after your coach, and that's my co-host Ben. That's one of his all-time favorite runners. So just wondering how connected you still are with Gainesville. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we, you know, we, Florida, we always have a mantra, uh, once a Gator, always a Gator. So our uh, UF alumni, we all keep in touch. Uh, the track and field team, uh, cross-country team. When I was there, <clears throat> the year after I graduated, I got to meet Chris Zelensky and a uh, really cool guy. I was always, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his as well. Uh, I, I can remember him breaking 27 minutes into 10,000 on the track and um, finally just kind of getting to meet one of your, your role models was, uh, for me, like that was a really cool experience. But um, yeah, definitely keep in touch with uh, Coach Holloway and, uh, Coach Spangler, and um, so I haven't been there since probably March of 2019, but um, yeah, it's definitely a great experience. Um, definitely enjoyed my time there. Yeah, I think we just passed the 10-year anniversary on that Selinski 27-minute 10,000 this spring, I believe, yeah. Um, yeah. which is an amazing race. I encourage everybody to get on YouTube, look at the clips if you haven't seen it already. It's such an exceptional performance. The highlight of your career while you were at Florida? Uh, highlight was definitely uh, in 2015, uh, winning the, the uh, 10,000 meters at the SEC conference meet in uh, Texas. Where was it? It was in Mississippi State. It was just a race where it was very tactical and um, I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but I could just remember running the race. Coach Holloway and Coach Spengler were, uh, they were near the backstretch 
And I remember uh, the later phases of the race, maybe, geez, about 2,000 meters left. I, I found myself still in a pack of five runners and, you know, I was feeling good. And it was just one of those races where the pain didn't really set in, which was, which is, I think, rare. And um, I was like, huh, I'm, I'm kind of looking around and I'm still feeling good. And my, you know, Coach Holloway is like, you know, believe in yourself, go for it. And it was just one of those races where I found myself leading the SEC 10K field. And uh, it was just a really special moment. And, um, you know, I didn't have the expectation to win the race, but it's definitely one of those uh, races where, you know, it was everything just fell into place. And so that was definitely a highlight of my career was, was definitely that race. And obviously um, I loved, enjoyed running cross country as well and uh, running track at Florida. Yeah. Let's unpack that SEC championship 10,000 there a little bit because you made some great points. First, you said maybe winning wasn't the expectation. What did you think realistically going into that race was your goal? My goal for that race was to score <clears throat> as many points as I could for my team. So the SEC is a very, very competitive conference. And um, a lot of the times those races, those meets always come down to, you know, points, like less than 10 point victory margins. So it's one of those races where every person that lines up, I mean, it's, it's critical. So for me, um, I was having a good year. This was my red shirt junior year. So I had a really good cross country fall. We qualified as a team for nationals in cross country. And um, I was feeling really good about, you know, my fall and um, my Christmas training and the indoor track season went really well. And so I knew I could podium, but um, I wasn't sure what I could do. Uh, but I think having that, I guess, not having the pressure to think, you know, I'm going to win this race. I think that helped me a lot too. Yeah, you're right. That SEC championship track meet is probably the most competitive conference track and field meet in the country. And for UF and, and for some of those other schools, the distance points are, are a bonus, right? If you can throw some points up on the board combined with what they have in the sprints, did you did it play out according to your plan? Did you have an approach that you went with going in and then you said, okay, this played out and 2K left, I'm here, let's go? Yeah, I mean, the, the plan before the race was just kind of, um, it's interesting, like the, the, uh, the championship races are usually more tactical. So going in, I expected it to be a little slower which I think for me played into my hands pretty well. Um, and then like I was, I was expecting, you know, the race to really pick up. And when I saw that I didn't and I was feeling good, I had to really, really, I, it was one of those things where I had to put myself in the moment. I had to be present. And um, I was like, okay, I'm here. Um, I'm feeling good you know, how many opportunities will I get like this? So it was just one of those things where it was a split second and I went and um, I didn't look back. So it was a cool moment. It's just one of those things where if I had thought about it too long, it probably would have, you know, someone else probably would have made that move. And 
you know, took the race. <laughs> oh, I love that. Seize it. What, what moment, how far out were you from the finish when you, when you moved? Uh, so I took the lead with about a thousand meters to go. And um, it was one of those things like, okay, if I'm going to take the lead, I got to go. And yeah. uh, because I mean, even though it's a thousand meters, there's still a lot of racing left. So I, luckily I was able to close really hard, but um, gosh, once I took the lead, I had even more excitement, even more adrenaline, and it just kind of propelled me to keep going further uh, to that race. We as runners know our <clears throat> strength and strengths and weaknesses better than anyone else. When you have a thousand to go, are you a sustained, long grind, make an early move kind of guy typically? Or are you willing to sit and kick in the last two, three hundred meters of a race? I'd say I'd say my style has changed. Uh, in high school, you know, I used to used to sit and kick. But obviously, like, over the course of time, like, you know, you go to the different levels, collegiate and professional, um, it gets faster, you know, it gets harder. Um, so um, for me, it's, uh, you know, more, I guess, uh, sustained, more sustained, but more of a sustained effort, you know, especially in that race, it was a thousand meters to go. I, you know, was, I think I closed my last thousand in that race in two I think it was a 2:44. So I mean, I was I was moving, especially like with two laps to go. I really started to pick it up more. But I think I, I initially it started off a little slower, and then as it got closer, I just kept kept picking up my pace. I don't need to make this thing all about the 2015 SEC championship, yeah. <laughs> but it was a really really great story. I love the insights there. So Thanks. I, I know you mentioned you're from Jacksonville. What's the connection to the U.S. Virgin Islands, and how did you come to represent them in professional racing? Yeah, so uh, my dad is actually uh, born and raised in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, he's from St. Croix, the island St. Croix. There's um, three islands, uh, St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. John's. And uh, he came to the U.S. when he was 18. He uh, enlisted in the Navy. And uh, he uh, got his first station in, oh gosh, I can't think of where, Tennessee. <laughs> That's okay. Station. Yeah, he was stationed in Tennessee, and then he um, got his next station in Pensacola, Florida, and that's where he met my mom. And uh, then he got his last station in Jacksonville, Florida. So that's how we ended up there. And then my connection with the Virgin Islands, um, since he was born there, I'm able to represent the Virgin Islands, uh, which is a incredible incredible opportunity basically what's cool about that is at the olympics or international the virgin islands is basically its own country like its own representation so um, i can still run u.s championship races as long as it's not selecting a team but then internationally uh, represent the virgin islands I want to come back to that in a, in a moment and kind of your hopes, dreams for how you're going to represent them in the future. But, but in between there, let's talk a little bit about coming to Greenville, joining the GTC Elite, and you've had a really successful transition to the marathon. So before we go to your experience at the Pan Am Games and going forward, 
Describe the, the beginning of your 2019 marathon season, starting with your PB at Houston. Yeah, so um, after graduating college, you know, I knew the marathon was going to be my main focus. That was going to be, that's the race where, you know, I want to really, you know, work hard and try to qualify for the Olympics. So uh, coming to, to uh, Greenville, one of the first things I discussed with Mike were my goals. Um, and that was qualifying for the Olympics. And at the time, the standard um, was 219 for the marathon. So coming in, I was like, Mike, you know, I represent the Virgin Islands. I need to break 219. And so we uh, targeted Houston, uh, Houston Marathon in January of 2019. So we had a really good buildup. I came here um in may of 2019 i started training or i'm sorry may of may of 2018 right yeah yeah and i uh, had a really good you know spring of training base building base build a lot because i came in injured i had a, a hip impingement long story short you know i came in took baby steps built up had a great summer training fall training we started getting into some races and then Houston was the big, big race. So uh, we got to Houston and I was able to pull it off. I was able to break 219 and um, I was elated. I was like, okay, I'm going to the Olympics. And then shortly after that race, the IAAF had, you know, changed uh, the standards uh, to qualify for the Olympics. But I had my mindset on that and, you know, I'm still pursuing that now. So we'll see what happens. All right, so break 219 at Houston, couple questions. Yeah. One, it, it was a close number for you. Yes. Uh, to get under oh 219. God. How close to the finish line were you before you realized you had it? Um, it was the very last moment. <laughs> so um, the race was interesting, like, gosh. So that was my second marathon ever. Um, my first marathon I ran back in 2017 in Rotterdam and I was in really, really great fitness. Uh, I was training with coach Spangler, uh, my college coach. And we, you know, I, I thought I could run 216. And I think that race, I just, I went in and I underestimated the marathon. I really just, I really learned my lesson the hard way about respecting that distance. And I went out way too hard in that race. I can remember, I think I went out in 66 or 67 Ooh. and, um, I, I died tragically. I hit the wall <laughs> you call it. and, um, it happens quick. When I think for me, my hamstrings went in my quads and it was just like shut down, but I finished that race and, um, Eddie, there is no other way than hard to learn that lesson though. We've all been yeah. there, you know, that, that is the marathon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So after that race, I mean, I just kind of regrouped and uh, Houston was my second one. And during that race, I didn't I knew I was in really good shape. And this time I played it safe. I remember going out uh, halfway point. I think I came through 69, 69, 30. Like, I mean, I was right spot on. The on. I was spot on. And it was one of those races I got into a really good pack of about uh, 15 to 20 runners and we were just kind of clicking off paces we had really good weather it was a cold cold morning in Houston I think we had 
uh, low 40s, um, sunny. So great conditions. Uh, every, it was just a race, like everything fell into place. I wasn't really, my watch started malfunctioning. So at that point, I just kind of relied on the feel. And um, I got with Cole Atkins, another runner here, and, and um, we just started working really well together. And at one point in the race, it was mile, mile 18, uh, we were slow, like, you know, our pace was slow. And he, he was like, Hey man, we gotta, we gotta, he said, hammer time It's hammer time. But after he said that I had the MC hammer, uh, <laughs> on my head. <laughs> hey, that just kept looping in my head. I don't know. You do like silly things like that. Me personally, I do like songs in my head yeah. and I just loop them. So he said that and I just, you know, I was like, okay. So we picked it up to, uh, about 5.10 to 5.15 pace over the course of that last last bit of the race. And the last mile, so I started doing the math. Like, I was approaching 5K to go. I was still on pace, but I couldn't slow down. And I remember the last two miles I needed to run, I still needed a 5.18 mile. And uh, the last mile, I was, I started really feeling it. And the last mile felt like the longest mile for me. It was weird. And uh, the last mile, you basically head back into Houston. You head into downtown. And I was like, man, where's this finish line? You know, I could not see the finish line. And I look at my watch. I think I was at like 218.30, and I could not see the finish line. Uh-huh. And I was like, I was like, oh, shoot. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get it. And I, I made this turn on a corner, and I could see the finish line. I was at like 240. Um, or I'm sorry, 218.40. And I was just like, okay, I'm going now. And I just started sprinting. And uh, I was, I w- I, even then, I didn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to get it. But yeah, it was, it was a very close call, man. I was, but I was happy when I hit, when I broke 219. <laughs> oh, I think everybody listening loves hearing you go through the emotion and the physical stress that all of us average <laughs> runners face in a marathon, right? Oh and my Ed, God. Eddie, it is dangerous when you start doing that math at like mile 23, 24, yes. and you're starting yes. to calculate in your head, oh man, you can put yourself in a bad place. Yes, yeah, no, definitely. I normally don't do that. And I think for me, I was so fixated on breaking 219. And um, that was like, I went to that race, like I'm breaking 219. You know, I, I didn't care how much I broke it by, but I was like, I am breaking 219. And that was the focus. You know, it was one of those things where I was like, I don't care what I have to do. I mean, I've run 26 miles. I'm, you know, this hurt. Like, I'm I'm not leaving without breaking 219. Yeah, no. I, part <laughs> of the reason I asked you when you knew it is yeah. if you look at your finish line picture, it feels <laughs> like you're crossing the line still a little bit uncertain. I am, or, yeah. <laughs> you just, just now, but man, that, I mean, what, what an amazing performance. And you're leaving that race thinking, okay, I may have just punched my ticket yeah. to represent the Virgin Islands in Tokyo. Yes. Now, a few things happen. One, 
IAAF changes the standard. So for the people who are unaware, what happened to the standard uh, moving down from 219? Oh, what, what happened? Yeah, so um, basically the IAAF adjusted the standards. Um, they created a ranking system. So there are two ways to qualify and they adjusted the standards so that they can create a smaller field uh, for the race. And so they, they're capping the, um, they decided to cap the marathon field to 80 runners. And I think at the Rio games, the 2016 games, there were double that at least. So they eventually came up with the 211.30 as the automatic time to qualify uh, in the men's marathon. And you could either do that or you could qualify off of a ranking system. That's a little complicated, but basically how it works is there's a point system and they take, they have a list, the IAAF creates a list of all marathons that are certified uh, that can count uh, towards your score. So you, you know, look for a marathon, you run that marathon, and then whatever time you run affects your score, uh, how you place affects your score. And then they do what's called a label of the race. At the very top, you have your, uh, your majors. So your Boston's and Chicago's and New York and London, uh, Berlin. And then underneath that, you have gold, silver, and bronze. Uh, so Houston was a silver label race. And how it works is they just, they take what you did and then they give you a score. And then in order for you to like have a score, you have to have at least two races. Um, and then you get a ranking and they take the top three runners um, in each country. And then if you fall in the top 80 in that list, then you can qualify that way. So it's a little complicated, but um, you're able to check the, your standings on their website, the IAAF website. Yeah, that 211.30 is just a whole different world from 219. Yeah. I mean, the average runner who maybe opens up with a goal of, say, breaking four in a marathon may the next year think about breaking 345 or 330. But those incremental gains, when we get to your level, that's, that's a huge jump. For the American marathon qualifiers, they got a big break when the Atlanta trials became a gold label race. So they didn't necessarily have to hit that 211.30 number, although the race ended up going really fast. So right. you get faced with this, either I got to move up in the rankings or get a whole lot faster. Yep. And then we add another wrinkle, right? Tokyo gets, gets postponed for a year. Right. So what are the goals now with that postponement? How has that changed things for you? And what are you looking at moving forward over the next year? Yeah, so I mean, now we're in the present. It's, um, you know, a lot of uncertainty. Um, it's uh, definitely an interesting time, especially with the Olympics being postponed. But the goals don't change for me. Uh, my training remains the same. Um, so I'm definitely trying to take this time to work as hard as I can. And uh, that way, when races do reopen, um, I'll be ready 
to to try and lower my time, uh, lower my ranking. Um, but right now, I mean, I'm not sure when when races will happen again. Um, the IAAF announced that the window for qualifying won't open until December. Uh, so that kind of works out in my favor. Um, it kind of takes the pressure off of racing a marathon this fall. If marathons are happening, uh, New York just canceled. I'm not sure what Chicago is going to do. So it's a combination for me of, um, you know, staying up to date with uh, what's going on with uh, races, but also focusing on my training and not getting overwhelmed and enjoying the process, having fun, um, and controlling what I can control. Um, so there's, for me, I mean, for all of us, you know, it's, uh, social distancing, wearing masks, you know, these are things that, that we can do to, um, to help this, the, the pandemic. Yeah, you hit on, on some constant refrains I hear there from the best runners that I know and work with and the most motivated athletes it's about taking this time as an opportunity to get better and get yourself prepared for when we do get on a start line again. Uh, do you have any plan set currently of a race at the end of this year or early next year to take your shot? Uh, or are you still in a wait and see approach? I think it's a combination of both. Um, as of right now, you know, my training has been, I'm really happy with my training. I haven't been injured. I just feel like I'm in really good form. When the window opens again, I would like to do a marathon as soon as that happens. Uh, potentially Houston. Um, it's just so early, man. It's 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 uh, and that's it's one of those things where we don't know uh, what's really going to happen. But um, I. I Houston would be a, a possibility. Um, Europe could potentially be a possibility if, if you know, U.S. citizens are allowed to travel. Uh, there are just so many different uh, scenarios. Um, so it's kind of a wait-and-see approach, but I kind of have races that um, would make sense, like the Valencia Marathon in Spain. That one's in December. That one's... A really competitive race but then again we just have to see what travel is going to be like during that time period and so maybe a spring marathon uh for sure um so yeah it's it's uh just kind of staying ready but um you know when the time comes i, I feel really confident that i'll be able to uh be ready for a marathon um in the winter or a spring marathon so you did get the opportunity to represent the Virgin Islands, though, in a highly competitive race at the marathon at the Pan American Games. While you're throwing this curveball with Tokyo, you get another really great opportunity. Tell us about that experience. Oh, man. Um, it was an amazing that – was, that was probably one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had as, uh, as a runner – Tremendous. Uh, that race, uh, the Pan American Games were in Lima, Peru, and uh, it was my first time traveling to that country, and they just, they did a fantastic job playing host to that, those games. I mean, they 
really treated all the athletes uh, first class. Uh, it was just a truly, truly amazing experience. I got to be the flag bearer for the Virgin Islands, um, which I didn't know I was going to be. They, wow. uh, they asked me if I would like to do that. It was truly an honor uh, to neat. carry that flag. Well, that's amazing. What an honor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know what the altitude was there for that race? Yeah. So for that one in Lima, I was actually on the coast, okay. um, which was, I was a little concerned uh, leading up to that race, if it was going to be an altitude or not, but it was on the coast and it was actually uh, in winter, winter time there. So it was actually cooler. So I, like, it was kind of cool. It was basically a year ago. Now that I was I was uh, doing some runs and I was like this week and I was like, man, Pan American Games were almost a year ago, man. And so um, but I can remember leaving Greenville it was hot, humid and going to Lima, Peru. And it was in the 50s. And um, it was amazing. Uh, it was on the coast. And um, the course was uh, course was a little challenging, but. Um, nothing too crazy. We have mountains and hills uh, we can get to here. So I felt pretty prepared for that race. Just a, a really, really fun race. And my dad was able to uh, fly and, and watch me race. And that was just a really proud moment, uh, moment that, that I'll always remember my father being there and uh, being able to make him proud and, and represent the Virgin Islands. It just, it was, it was incredible. It was a dream come true, basically. Did he say anything about what that meant to him, that experience? He told me that he was, he was uh, very proud of me. And, um, you know, he, uh, he, he, was, he was at a loss of words. I can remember meeting him and, and just we had a moment together and we took some photos and uh, we spent the day together after the race in Peru. And it was just really cool because, you know, he's been there. My, my, both my parents have been there since um, the beginning. And so being able to share that moment with him was just really amazing. But yeah, he told me that, that he's really proud of me. And uh, hopefully we can share that moment again and, and many others uh, in the upcoming, upcoming games. And Yeah, but I'll say regardless of, of what happens with Tokyo, I'm sure that's one that's going to last a lifetime the memory so you've raced in europe you've raced in south america where else in the world have you been have have you traveled uh i'm sure your dad having been in the navy probably traveled a lot uh, yeah. favorite place you've you've been in the world gosh i've raced yeah like you said i've raced in europe uh, i've raced in central america south america actually this past December, um, I went to Budapest uh, with my fee, my, my, well, she was my girlfriend at the time, um, and her parents, and I proposed to her uh, in Budapest. Budapest was a really cool place in Hungary, and uh, that, that was a really, really unique um, city, and I really enjoyed my time there. They have a natural mineral baths and we we got to do that we got to do a lot of walking and uh just a really really cool place but yeah that's probably like i'd say a highlight definitely definitely that that country that city 
podcast loves a good international romance story. <laughs> that, was, that was good, Eddie. You know, go back to track and field and, and kind of tie into what's happening in our world today. One of the things I love of, about track and field is the diversity, both in the type of people you encounter, but also, as you already mentioned, the array of talents you see where your points that you got in a distance event are so critical to what's happening in sprints and throws and jumps. And it is a sport with the ability to bring people together. Yes. Uh, but, you know, distance running is largely homogenous in the United States. Given the current social conditions uh, we're experiencing, uh, I'd love to hear more about your experience as a man of color in distance running. First, maybe some thoughts on how running can be a unifying force for all people. Yeah, I, I believe running is um, extremely powerful. Um, and the nice thing about running is people of all genders, races, um, they, they can do it together. And um, it's, I feel like running is a place, a safe place. And it's a place where, you know, I feel like um, you can have conversations. And I mean, during this, this period of time um, with uh, social injustice and, you know, racial inequality, I mean, it, we've, this has been, it's been going on for, for uh, you know, hundreds of years it's not uh one of those things that we're, we're just seeing it you know it's uh where we have video but i think running is is uh extremely powerful and um especially during this time we saw virtual races you know, which i thought were really cool and uh this past june uh june 13th i participated in a uh nationwide virtual race that um Black Men Run, uh, they're a group of uh, African-American runners and they, um, they put on this virtual 5K and it was free entry, uh, it was June 13th and it was basically their uh, mission, their purpose was to, you know, um, stand up for, uh, for racial uh, inequality, social injustice. You could uh, register, print a bib and uh, had, you know, Black Lives Matter, for the event, you wore black in solidarity of um, of those who have lost their lives to police brutality, just people who have been mistreated in color. And uh, that was a really, really cool event. And I think running is, is one of those avenues, you know, you can do races like that to um, kind of, you know, protest uh, that. And uh, like I said, it, it creates conversation, but the conversation has to continue. So I think moving forward as a, as a society, we have to continue having those, t those difficult conversations and, and um, kind of, you know, bringing more awareness to, to, to what people, what, what black people and, and brown people, what, what they go through that other people might not uh, fully understand or, or realize. I think of some of the best, most meaningful conversations I've had on any number of issues have happened on a run. You're right. It, it's a it's a great place to to start, and hopefully continue those conversations. You mentioned Black Men Run. That's an incredible organization. They do such meaningful work. 
Any other ideas about what we might be able to do to increase participation in uh, distance running among minority populations and especially younger people? You know, you mentioned uh, you were early teens when you really got into running. So, so maybe thoughts you have on, on what we could do to get more involved and perhaps also your story about what connected you and brought you to the sport. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, uh, great question, Travis. Um, so, growing up, my I have an older brother. He's about three years older than me. A really good runner as well. And um, I looked up to him a lot growing up. And I remember there was one summer where my brother was heading into his senior year in track uh, at high school, uh, cross country and track and field. And my parents uh, decide to, you know, enroll us in the summer track um, because, you know, they wanted, they wanted my brother uh, to get better. So they enrolled us in summer track and we, we actually were a part of this uh, team called PAL. Uh, it was a police athletic league and it was in the inner city of Jacksonville uh, downtown. And uh, growing up, you know, my, my family, um, you know, we were uh, lower middle class, um, you know, middle class. Uh, so it was definitely one of those experiences where I got my brother and I got to see a different way of life, like a, a community that didn't have the same opportunities as where I grew up. Um, so it was, we got to see that at a young age. And um, it was a very truly eye-opening experience for uh for the both of us and um i think it starts with the youth i think having more programs like that will kind of foster more interest in distance running uh for you know uh, the minorities um but yeah yeah we uh we did that for two summers and i can just remember that you know i really you know had it fell in love with running uh, through summer track. And uh, I can remember going into high school, it was like a polar opposite. I remember showing up the first day of practice, I had a baggy shirt, uh, you know, basketball shorts, and, you know, my teammates were shirtless, short shorts. You know, I just didn't know any any difference. So um, it was it was a pretty cool experience. You just mentioned that anecdote about your first day at high school track practice and the way you fit in compared to everybody else. What have the challenges been that, that you've noticed that, that you've faced in running because of, at least in part, because of the color of your skin? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think in high school, um, it, you know, there would be times teammates would, would make comments uh, joking, but I don't think they meant anything bad by it. Like, God, there's so many stories. Um, I can remember being, for a while, being made fun of, like, for not, because I, I didn't want to run shirtless or, or wear short shorts and, you know, kind of being made fun of that, you know. And um, there would be times where we would have, like, a team dinner and uh, or a cookout and, you know, someone would make a comment about, like, fried chicken or mm. uh, watermelon, things like that. Um, kind of innocent, but not okay. Uh, definitely not okay. In high school, like I think, 
you kind of at one point you just kind of learn how like my parents would always teach us how to not let things like that uh get to us um so you just you kind of the sad thing is unfortunately you kind of like you know adapt to that that kind of treatment but in college um you definitely like in college i definitely uh i had a few teammates uh, not a lot but there were a few occasions like you know where things would would cross that gray gray line and you know i'd have to have a conversation with them and because by that point you you kind of you start to know i think better you're not as bliss you know as uh, when you're a kid but yeah definitely definitely some challenges um you know recently i just had a conversation with uh one of my college teammates he he um he i did not expect this but he actually called me uh amidst the george george floyd uh killing and um, Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, he called me and he apologized to me. You know, I didn't expect it. You know, I, I just thought he was going to call me to catch up and talk, but he, he, um, he apologized to me and he, he uh, basically realized like some of the things that he, he might've done that were hurtful. And so that meant a lot to me. Hmm. I don't hold any like resentment against any of my old teammates. I, uh, or, people that may have made comments, um, you know, I, I pray for them, you know, I'm, I, I have a lot of faith in God and, you know, you just have to kind of pray for people and, and maybe they, they can come around like, like one of my teammates did and, and reach out to you. But, you know, definitely is, it's definitely interesting. Yeah. But for the most part, I've, I've felt a lot of unity in running. I've never felt, like an outcast. Um, I've always had very good teammates, but I know there are other people that might not experience it the same way. Sure. Yeah. Faith and communication can be a really great place to start. I'd like to think And one thing I fear in, in our current culture uh, that is uh, so wrapped up in a, a quick sound bite on the news or a few characters on Twitter or Facebook is that we get comments out there, but we're not really having conversations. Right. And, and, and you just made a great point about, you know, you got to the point in college where you're a man and the people around you on the team are, are men at that point. Also, it's not just the good natured ribbing that maybe we can grow from when we're younger I worry about people not having the opportunity to make mistakes and grow because we're so afraid to have real conversations. When, when you got to that point and had to have that conversation, you know, I, we don't need to know the specifics, but what, what does that look like for you? You know, if you were to sit down now again and, and somebody wanted to open a, a really genuine conversation about about your experience in in running and you share your perspective where do you start and and what do you want people maybe to better understand well yeah that's a good question um i mean obviously um the conversations they usually went i would say i wouldn't i wasn't like angry or like coming at them um with any sort of uh, malice in my heart, 
it came from a good place, but at the same time, like I expressed, you know, how I felt. Um, and then I would express like to try to help people understand, like, you know, express experiences that I go through or, you know, to try to open up their perspective so that they can, they can understand it a little better. I think, I think a lot of it is talking about your personal experiences um, that a lot of people don't experience. I think that always helps kind of open up people's uh, perspectives on, on certain things, but definitely talking about your personal experiences and I think is, a, is definitely a good, a good start. Running has also opened a lot of doors for you, right? With these experiences you've had and places that you've traveled. And uh, maybe you could give us just one quick story of perhaps someone you connected with over time that otherwise maybe you wouldn't. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe somebody from another country at the Pan Am Games or one of these races. Tell us a little bit about uh, that opportunity to connect with a person that maybe just isn't in our daily lives otherwise. Hmm. So think about that one. I mean, you meet so many people when you travel and um, especially I would say traveling internationally, um, when you start to talk to people from different countries and you get to, you know, learn about different cultures, there are people that I've connected with from uh, my international travels and social media. There was one guy in the Pan Am Games. He was a... Um, he was like a volunteer. He was one of the volunteers. Really nice guy. I'm part Hispanic. My father is Puerto Rican and my Spanish is okay. Like I can, I can understand Spanish decent, but I'm not fluent. And we were doing the uh, men and women for the marathon. We were doing a course tour on a bus and I can understand Spanish if it's spoken slowly. They were speaking Spanish fast. And so I'm freaking out because we're driving. I literally have no idea what's going on. And, you know, I'm like trying to get some communication. And um, for some reason, the USA wasn't on the bus. I was like the only person that spoke English basically on the bus. <laughs> I thought. And one of the volunteers could see I was like really struggling to like figure out what's going on. And so he sat with me. And uh, he translated everything for me and he just made me feel so at ease and very comfortable because it's like that race was going to be the biggest race up to like any, any other race that I've done, the Pan American Games. That was, that, was, that was like the pinnacle of what I've done so far. And so it was imperative for me to know everything and, you know, not really knowing what was going on was very stressful. And so um, I'm friends with him now on, on Instagram and everything like that. But, you know, he just really like, he sat next to me and he just made me feel very like calm. And then I remember I saw him on race day and on race day, it was his birthday. <laughs> and we sang, we sang happy birthday to him. And uh, it turned out that he ran, um, he runs the 400, but like uh, he ran it in high school. I don't remember his name, but that was just like a really, really solid connection. And just someone that just made that experience so much better for me because it was, 
it was one of those things like I was like freaking out. Yep, there, there it is. There's, there's the magic that we all have probably more in common than we have different. And we all have, like you at the Pan Am Games, dreams that we want to chase and goals to achieve. And most of us want to help other people along the way in their pursuit of those. It's part of why I love this format. And I appreciate you coming on, Eddie, because we can have an honest conversation and get a little bit of depth about your experiences um, that I think provide a lot of value in in our world right now. Before I let you go, we're going to lighten it up a little bit. Uh, We like to do a little lightning round at the end here with some quick rapid fire questions for Eddie Garcia. You ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Your current training shoe. John Nimbus Light. Asics John Nimbus Light. Yeah. You know what? I like that light version uh, of the Nimbus. For the locals, where's your favorite spot for a long run? Tuxedo, North Carolina. It's about 30 minutes away from Greenville. And uh, we do this loop, I think it's called Lake Summit. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's about a nine mile loop. And, um, yeah, we can usually go up there as additional 1,000 feet gain in elevation. So usually the temperatures are cooler. The surface is really good. It's uh, kind of like a, a gravel-type dirt. So great surface for running. Um, yeah, I love going up there. It's definitely one of my favorite spots. Tremendous spot. And mm-hmm. right now we're all longing for that few degrees that you – save when you when you head into the mountains absolutely uh okay i'm putting you in a four by mile relay okay with any other three runners all time okay who are you putting on your team (laughs) all right uh jim ryan in his prime oh great pick um who else oh gosh yeah i'm gonna put jim ryan uh matt matt centrowitz okay um I get one more. One more. One more. Okay. Because you're um, on the team. I'm sorry. You're on the team, so it's gonna be you I'm and I'm on the team others. too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh gosh, who else? Uh, all time milers. Oh, oh, Al Garouche. Yeah. Easy. Okay. Take the yeah. record holder. Not a bad pick. Yeah. What leg are you taking in this race? <laughs> oh man, you know what? I mean, I'm definitely going to be the slowest out of all those guys. Um, probably put me on, put me on the third leg. Okay. Hopefully, they could they could build a good enough lead for me, and I don't screw it up, you know. And yep. I hand it off to El Garouche or something at the end, and he brings us home. <laughs> now I see where you went with that, and it makes a whole lot of sense. But I really wanted you to say anchor. Just oh no, take, no take way, home, dude! Baby. No way! I would. That would be. <laughs> Too much pressure. Oh, no way. Yeah. Okay, scary movies. Are you a fan or no? You know, I used to like scary movies when I was younger, but now I, I, I'm not really into them too much, man. Like, I, I remember I remember high school. When I was in high school, Paranormal Activity came out. Mm. And, you know, those movies, they, they were – I couldn't do them. I just – I couldn't do those. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm with you, Eddie. I am petrified. So I agree. Yeah. Uh, So we just had the 4th of July. Uh, Let's say you're at a 4th of July grill out. Yeah. You see on the spread, we have hamburger or maybe cheeseburger, whatever you prefer. 
we have hot dogs, we have brats. Those are your three options. What are you going for? Uh, brats and cheeseburgers. Dead on. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you going one over the other? Or are you going to go for both? Oh, I'm doing both. Yeah. My Actually, God. July 4th, we did do that. Uh, my fiance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I like hot dogs, um, but I like a good brat too, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you watch the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest? On the My fiance court? did. I, I, didn't, I didn't watch it, but she did. Um, yeah. I heard, I, I heard about it. I heard he, he ate a lot of hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> 75 of them in 10 minutes. My favorite takeaway from it, I get really into the announcer uh, who's, who's so excited, yeah. so enthused about it. And they did an interview afterward and Joey Chestnut used a line. He said the dogs were really fast today. And I don't know what that means, but I feel like we as runners kind of have those lines. We'll say like the course was fast, you know, yeah. and we, we know what that means. But from the outside, I was like, what the heck? The dogs are fast. What, what are you doing? Yeah, it was disgusting, but I, I did love it. Okay, so on the holiday theme there with 4th of July, rank me your top three favorite holidays in order. Okay, top three favorite holidays. Yes, sir. In order. Um, Christmas, mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, and, and Halloween, yeah. Oh, you're a Halloween guy. I like Halloween. Yeah, I went trick-or-treating a lot as a kid growing up. And um, I even went trick-or-treating in high school, you know. Yeah. I would go trick-or-treating now. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would. What is your best costume you ever wore for trick-or-treat? Uh, gosh. There was one time. Okay, best costume. Okay, I got to think. I dress up as a Power Ranger. Oh. Yeah, and I really liked that one. I was, um, gosh, I was the green Power Ranger. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, I think I was like eight years old. And my brother uh, dressed up as the the blue Power Ranger. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That one was good. Um, what were some other ones I've used? Dracula, that one's not too exciting. Yeah, that's a classic. Yeah. You're um, a, ha a Halloween guy, but you're not a scary movie guy. I haven't gone trick-or-treating in a while. Like, so what I do now, when it's Halloween, I just get a bunch of candy. Yeah. And, you know, I just kind of do that. But Just embrace yeah. the sugar. Yeah, I love candy. Um, I had a really big sweet tooth growing up. But now more like chocolate, you know. Oh like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. On that note, what is your post-race like guilty pleasure indulgence that you like mm. to eat? Oh my gosh. <sighs> yeah, man. Probably like. I, I mean, I would say probably like a cheesecake. Like cheesecake. Oh. I love cheesecake. Um, what else? cookies yeah i have a sweet tooth I, I think if i didn't run i'd be in trouble <laughs> I, I'd, be, I'd be in serious trouble man so it, it kind of allows me to have that craving i actually haven't had i've been pretty good but yeah i can remember after my first 
my first marathon in Rotterdam. My dad and I went to McDonald's in the Netherlands. He was at that race too. My dad, he travels to a lot of the races that I go to, which is cool. But um, we went to McDonald's. I got, um, what do McDonald's have? Do they do the Whoppers? Gosh, uh, the, no, no, the that Whopper, that's, that's Burger King. King. Yeah, you Big did Mac. Big it was a Big Mac. Mac. That's right. I had a Big Mac, fries, and I think I had like a, a Frosty. Mm. One of their, mm-hmm. yeah, McFlurries. Yeah, that's yes. what you call them. The yeah, one of the McFlurries. Yeah, I had uh, the uh, M&M one. Oh. Yeah. Eddie, I'm with you. Like, if I didn't run, I think I would be in a pretty dark place with the sweet right? I, yeah. I Yesterday morning on my run, I spent almost the entire run mm-hmm. mentally performing these gymnastics of comparing brownies versus blondies, and mm. which I liked more because my, my mom had just baked some brownies. And I finished the run and you know, it flew by because I was in this train of thought. But I also realized, like, okay, I, I need to clean things up a little bit now. We're yeah. we're getting to a bad spot when that's all I think about. <laughs> so I'm with you. I'm trying to maybe tone down the sugar a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the, the last one here, it's another food one. The last one here, we brought this up on a previous episode with Craig Ingalls, and it took a life of its own, the breakfast food debate. Okay, we got okay. Th- we got three options. You got to rank yeah. pancakes, waffles, French toast. Put them in order. Um, probably French toast, yes. pancakes, and waffles. Eddie, you, me, and Craig Ingalls are going <laughs> to go to a, go to a brunch sometimes. So okay, we have the same order. We all put it in that order, and that doesn't yeah. seem to be common. I think the French toast okay. is incredibly underrated. Oh, I love French toast. Okay, so uh, after, so <laughs> my fiance and I, we, her name is Sydney, and um, for we haven't done this in a while, but for the longest time, especially during COVID, probably like for a good solid, I would say from April to May, after every long run, so Sunday, I get back from my long run, you know, I've done 18, 19 miles, she would make French toast bacon mm. and then um we would have mimosas oh. and that was like we would do that every single week and um yeah i love french toast man french toast is amazing i, I have it with butter and syrup it's just I, I love it i mean french toast is great it's great you said it brioche we use the brioche bread that's and, strong yep brioche yeah. makes a strong french toast you got yourself a good woman right there Oh, I know. Shoot. Yes. <laughs> Eddie, when is, when's the wedding? Do we have a date set? Um, so we're, we're shooting for fall, either probably fall of 2021. Yeah. Is, uh, where we're kind of aiming for right now. So we were going on venues, but then, you know, with, with COVID and everything, we kind of took a break from that. Sure. But, um, yeah, yeah, sometime then, man. So we're we're definitely excited about that. Like I said, we got a house. Uh we just closed on a home. So um yeah, we're we're uh we're we're Greenville, man. We're we're here. <laughs> well, Eddie, congratulations. We wish both of you nothing but the best. This thank was you. a lot of fun. I really appreciate your perspective. Uh thank you so much for joining us. And we are promising you from the podcast, the program will be 
supporting you. If you go to Tokyo, there yes. will be there will be cheesecake and French toast at the finish line. Okay. Courtesy of the Seconds Flat podcast and Team Garcia that we're joining here today. So, awesome. uh, man, thanks so much and keep up the great training. Hopefully we get to see you in a race soon. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Travis. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. My pleasure, Eddie. Thanks for listening. Stay well out there. And we'll talk to you soon here on Seconds Flat.